listening to The Extraordinary Catholic, co-sponsored by the Catholic Education Foundation and WHLIC Catholic Radio out of Buffalo, New York. I am your host, Joan Delicato. Thank you for being with us. Today we are privileged to welcome to the program an extraordinary Catholic, Dennis Marcellino. Dennis turned from his very successful music career being the highest focus of his life, a career that included being a member of Sly and the Family Stone, the Tokens, who recorded the world-famous Lion Sleep Tonight, and an internationally best-selling CD under his own name. Dennis has recorded and toured as a musician, vocalist with Shanana, Rare Earth, Three Dog Night, The Electric Flag, Graham Central Station, among others. After finding the Bible as the ultimate source of wisdom on the planet, which he's scientifically proven to be a book of truth in his book, Why Are We Here? Dennis now focuses on helping others find real solutions and true meaning for their lives through his books and speaking with one of his most popular speeches, besides an entertaining history of his journey, 10 conclusive proofs that God exists and the Bible is true. Dennis was born and raised in San Francisco and then moved to Los Angeles. Dennis, thank you again for being with us. And you've accomplished a lot. We've talked a little. Can you maybe start uh, by sharing the beginning of your journey from childhood through your musical career uh, as you've developed? Sure. Um, well, basically, I started out you know, in, you know, as a Catholic, and you know, I was an altar boy. I went to Catholic school to some degree, and. You know, but then, you know, this is like in the 50s and then the early 60s, and the Beatles became real popular, and the whole youth culture started getting very big. So I was kind of pulled off into that and the sensationalism of the world, and I guess it's a typical thing for a lot of people. And so I just started following that path. Uh, but, of course, I wanted to be successful financially, and I got married in 1965 when I was 17. So I pursued a career in engineering. And uh, while I was an engineer, though, I, I, where I worked right across the street was uh, the uh, film auditorium. So I just used to start going there, and uh, I just loved the bands. I loved the music scene. I loved what was happening, and so I just got into music. And so I stayed with that career for a while, and then I ended up following the threads that go along with that. Um, I guess in a lot of ways that uh, the way the martini was to the 50s, 1950s businessmen, um, that's the way drugs were to the music industry. So I fell into that, and especially being in San Francisco and the whole hippie scene happening at the time. And... I just started living that lifestyle and tried to get along with my coworkers. I guess, you know, it, it, it's no different than a lot of professions. You, you want to be in agreement with the people around you. There's like a peace in agreement, you know, when you agree with people around you. And so I started doing what they did and thinking the way they thought. And, but it led to a lot of problems. I mean, a lot of the people that I was working with, uh, they were having drug overdoses and even dying from the overdoses. And... Um, just like Pope John Paul said, you know, free love is neither free nor is it love. <laughs> so uh, we started paying the prices for that. And so I said, you know, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than this. This is not the best way to live, even though it's, it's like the dream of, of teenagers and young adults 
to, to be really successful in the music business, you know, that dream actually turned out to be a nightmare in a lot of ways. And so I wanted to find out, well, what is the optimum way to live? And what is the truth, really? What is the truth about, you know, why, why run this planet? You know, I mean, I mean, we're just on this little ball in the middle of a humongous universe. And so something more is going on, although we tend to get caught up in our lives and in our own um, distractions and pleasures uh, and even dysfunctions, as I was saying with the whole music business. Uh, you know, there's got to be something more, though, obviously. So I wanted to find out, what can we know about that? So I, you know, I mean, I could have relied on my, on my faith from my youth, but I wasn't positive about that, and, you know, the Bible wasn't really compatible to the music industry and yeah. musicians because they wanted to be free to do whatever they wanted to do, okay, which was a lot of sin, basically. There's just, yeah, before we, we talk about that, which is the most important thing that I think we're going to talk about today, uh, you, you accomplished within your careers, the engineering and the music, uh, what would seem to somebody not familiar with your industry a pretty high-profile and successful career. Um, would that be fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And Sly Family Stone was the number one band in the world in 1970, and um, MSNBC just recently said they were one of the top ten bands of all time. Right, I had heard that, yeah. Now, what do you attribute that level of success in your career to? Um, well, partly, I was lucky that I was in San Francisco, because that's where all these bands were happening at the time. Um, but also, I was just aggressive. Okay. I, w I really wanted success. I really had that feeling for success. And, and I loved it, too. I loved music, and I loved being on stage, and um, just the whole feeling that, you know, it's like another world when you, once you get on stage and start creating the music, and the lighting, and all that, and the audience, and... So, so talent, passion, and, and it was fed. Okay. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about um, your sort of uh, dismay with you had found, and, and you're moving on. Well, basically, when I realized that, I hadn't, you know, hit it. I mean, a lot of times people will have a dream and a goal, and they'll pursue it, and you know, they'll get caught up in that pursuit. You'll be doing the work, the work, the work, the work, the work. But then all of a sudden, once you land where you were trying to get to, and then the feeling isn't there that you thought was going to be there, you know, the peace, the joy, the, um, the complete satisfaction, the deep fulfillment, you know, touching the very deepest part of your soul, uh, when it's not there, then you're saying, oh, okay, now what? Now what am I going to do? And as a matter of fact, not only was it not there, but there was a whole lot of trouble that came along with it. So now how do I get rid of the troubles, too? Well, and, and so, what was the trouble? The, the drugs and things of that nature? Well, the drugs and just the people. I mean, it's like there's this, like this uh, feeling of, I don't know, uh, of decadence and, you know, hedonism and craziness. It feels crazy. It doesn't feel peaceful. It doesn't feel really satisfying even though the, the the mantra of the hippies was love and peace um, it was more wild like a wild energy and it just didn't feel that good whereas love and peace do feel great they, they feel the best mm -hmm. so it's, if it's not there you know well then where is it so that's what started me on, on a very intense journey in a search okay. to find out you know well where is it so you know I started out with 
you know, I believed in the world, and so the world says when you have a problem, what do you do? You go to a doctor. And when you have an inner problem, what do you do? You go to a psychiatrist. So I started down that path, the psychology path. That was my first attempt, and that didn't work out too good, although I did learn a lot. I did learn a lot, but it's kind of like, you know, Woody Allen in that movie Sleeper, he said that uh, he, they woke him up 200 years later because I think he had died from botulism because he had a health food restaurant. And uh, when they woke him up, and he's very famous for seeing psychiatrists and analysts and stuff. Yeah. And he, when he woke up 200 years later, he goes, gee, it's actually 200 years later. If I would have been seeing my shrink all this time, I would have almost been cured by now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, so that's how effective I found it to be, too. I mean, if you're sitting in a dark room and you just talk about the darkness, you're not going to feel great. And that's what you do, basically, when you go to an analyst. I mean, there's some good things about understanding how, how you came to be dysfunctional. But it better it's to turn on the light, to go for the light switch and turn on the light, because then once the light's on, you won't even care that there ever was darkness. So that's what happened with me. I, I morphed out of that, and I went into New Age things, and I went to, into Eastern, because that was very popular in those days. And uh, and I learned things longer. I got into Scientology at the Celebrity Center down in Los Angeles, which is where you know Tom Cruise and John Travolta and them are. And and then I moved on from there because it's it, these things weren't satisfying me. And uh, just to make a long story short, I you know I ended up getting into uh, my cousins all got into um, this church. It was. Um, I guess you call it a non-denominational church. And they just got into the Bible, basically. Mm. And um, they were just trying to get me involved in it. And my cousin, he was like a producer and writer for Michael Jackson and Diana Ross. and So he did really well, too. And, and I said, you know, I don't need to get into the Bible because uh, I've learned how to be, you know, how to find God within and, you know, through the, the past things I've been involved in. But I wasn't happy. And so uh, one day I went, but I was living with this woman, and, uh, you know, she was, like, nagging me all the time. And I, so I went over to my cousins, and they go, so how is it going? And I go, well, you know, uh, this, you know, Jane is just nagging me all the time, and it's really a drag. And the wife got up and left the room. And I figured she was disgusted by my complaining. But then she came back in the room with the Bible, and she said, read this. And it was open to Proverbs, and it says, it's better to live on the edge of a roof than to live with a nagging woman. Hmm. And I, I said, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty wise. You know, here I am trying to make, I'm trying so hard, you know, I've become a doormat to this woman who's just, you know, torturing me. You know, yeah, here's the Bible saying, no, don't do that. It says, don't just go to the edge of a roof. Just, you know, get away from her hmm. and just be at peace with God. And so I said, well, that's, that's better wisdom than I heard you know, in all of the searches that I had gone through. And so I says, well, maybe I should start reading this book, the Bible. Mm. And so I start, more now, not as a pressure telling me not what, you know, what I can't do, that's the way uh, musicians tend to look at it, mm -hmm. but more like this is, might be some good advice in here to help me, mm. you know, with my life on how to think and how to live and how to be in my relationships. So... So that's what I did. I started reading it. Then I read one thing that says, God hates sin. And I said, you know, and I looked deep in my heart. I go, you know something? So do I, really, if I have to be honest with my heart. 
that's the way I feel too. I don't like all these, you know, failed relationships, male-female relationships that I'm seeing in my life. I don't like all the temptations that come uh, from the world and from the media and the entertainment uh, industries to, you know, to hurt a marriage and hurt a relationship. I really hate that stuff. I'm trying to have a good marriage. I'm trying to have a peaceful life. And all these things that are sin are, you know, trying to destroy that. So that I like that too, you know. So to make a long story short, I just got into the Bible, and you know, I've been into it ever since. I absolutely love it. In case you have just joined us, this is the Extraordinary Catholic, and we are talking with Dennis Marcellino. You, I read somewhere that you tried in the different approaches, as many as twenty-two different approaches, uh, before you got involved in the Bible to a lifestyle. Yeah, I wouldn't say, no, it's not before. The 21st approach was the non-denominational church, and the 22nd approach was the Catholic church. I see, okay, that is, thank you. That's, um, and most of the other, tw- most of the first 20 were New Age drugs and things of that nature? <laughs> well, you know, and, and also the, you know, the common approaches too, like, you know, trying to be successful in engineering, I, I would call that an approach. Okay. Uh, but also, yeah, no, it was like hypnotism and, you know, um, Scientology and and drugs and alcohol and yeah all those different approaches that were popular in the world. Okay, all right. So you got so you got into the Bible and uh, found a lot of answers. Then what happened next? Well, I mean, what, what I did what the Bible said to do when I finally did that and made you know Jesus the head of my life. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, in other words, now I'm not going to take my cues for how to think and how to live from the world anymore. I'm not going to take it from my friends, my relatives, uh, the media, my own mind. I'm just, I'm just going to say, you know, Jesus, wow, this, what a great being, what a great person. Um, I mean, it stands for love, stands for goodness. Okay, I'm going to do exactly what he says. I'm going to start studying the Bible, and I'm going to do exactly what he says. And as soon as I made that decision, it's like this, this burden just lifted off of me. And everything that had been a problem in my heart before was gone. I had no more addictions. I had no more emotional problems. Um, it was just like an instant transformation. So, so I just stayed with that. And, of course, you know, life is a very complicated thing, so you have to keep uh, studying on, you know, how do we think about this and how do we act in this situation. And, and then you apply it, and it's worked. That was like 25 years ago. And it's worked ever since, and I'm still excited about it. But the the biggest part, though, now too, is uh, you know I like that there was that phrase in Jonathan Livingston Seagull that said, uh, "It's good to be a seeker, but sooner or later you have to become a finder." Mm. And then once you do, it's good to give back into the world what you have found. Mm. So this has been so exciting to me and so effective. Out of all the things out there, the 22 approaches, uh, that I, you know, it's almost like an obligation that I should pass this on. So that's what I've done through writing books and through speaking and doing media interviews. So this happened 25 years ago. You started reading the Bible, and it was almost, well, not almost, it was instant cure. Uh, and you've lived your life and have decided to give back. Because Yes. Okay. What... Uh, what are some of the works that you do, uh, and how do you give back? Well, one thing, for instance, I wrote a book called Addiction Free Forever. You know, you watch the media, 
and you watch the the news, and they there's a constant addiction problem in this country, the drug problem, and alcohol problem. And I I was you know instantly uh, cured from it. So therefore, I, I put together a book called Addiction Free Forever and a workbook that goes with it that can t- take a person through that same process from being addicted to being happy and in peace and inside and fulfilled and have an inspired life. So it's, it's, I laid out a, a program and a process, and I have a lot of great quotes. Uh, as a matter of fact, if anybody wanted to see that, it would be addictionfreeforever.com. Okay, addictionfreeforever.com. While we're on that, then is, are, there, is there, any other, are there any other websites uh, that people could find out about you and your work? Yeah, catholicproofs.com, P-R-O-O-F-S.com, catholicproofs. Um, see, the other battle going on in society is how atheists, I mean, God's kind of gradually being kicked out of the society, and uh, legally. And, you know, a British politician, Edmund Burke, said that um, for evil to triumph, all that has to happen is for good people to say nothing. So... Atheists are being very aggressive. I mean, obviously they've gotten prayer out of school. They've gotten uh, the, even the consideration of God out of school. And it's all these modern science theories. People don't hear that word theories too much. Uh, to back their their situation. And so, you know, we have to say something. So one of the things I'm doing is, uh, based on my engineering background and my psychology background, I put together... Uh, Ten conclusive proofs that God exists and the Bible is true, like you said earlier. And, you know, when science and logic are taken to their nth degree, they're actually on the side of the Bible. And I don't think people realize that. The mainstream perception is um, that science is not on the side of the Bible and that the Bible is just a matter of belief. But I don't think people realize that there's a lot of belief that has to go into accepting those science theories, which aren't proven. Matter of fact, I just did a speech this last weekend at a, a Restore America conference, it was called. And it was a political thing, you know, trying to restore America uh, to biblical values. And um, the, the speaker was an ex-lesbian, an ex-lesbian activist for 25 years. And she said that they were, they're very aggressive in wanting to take over the society. And their first order of business, and they had meetings about this, is what's called branding in marketing. And that is, you get people to attach certain uh, images with words. So they said, no, we can't have homosexual anymore. We have to say gay. See, gay's, gay was a word for happy yeah. before it was popular to, you know. So all these things, and then, you know, homophobe. And she was talking about all these words that they pushed and concepts that they pushed. But now she's fighting the other direction. Uh, but she shows that they're aggressive. So we have to do something, too. We have to be active. And, it's a, of course, that, that comes from the Vatican, you know, how we should be involved in evangelism in some way, you know, all Catholics. And that's what we were confirmed to do, too, in our confirmation. Yes. So that's, that's another thing that I do, is I try to combat atheism, which, by the way, I prove is impossible. A person can't call themselves an atheist. They can call themselves an agnostic, maybe. They can say, I don't know. But they can't say atheist, because nobody can prove that there's no God. I mean, we can barely get off of this little ball that we're on here, you know, let alone that humongous universe out there. So nobody can prove that there's no God. So don't, e- don't even say that you're an atheist, because 
it's a position that is not provable. How is that received when you say that uh, in the culture where they try to uh, put that forth? You know, they, I, I, I encounter a lot of silence. I think my arguments are pretty good. I encounter a lot of silence. Like, for instance, on the, um, on the gay issue. Um, I was talking at a party with some people from San Francisco, and I was, they were saying, well, what does the Bible say? You know, they knew I was into the Bible and everything, and they say, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And then I told them, and then they said, well, that's not, that's not right, that's not fair. You know, the, the people are born this way. And I said, you know, the Holy Spirit just gave me a great answer to this that I've used since on a lot of things, like in the atheism thing. And I say, are you absolutely sure about that? And then I encountered silence because they had to reflect. And if they're going to be honest, if they were not just going to push their argument, they had to reflect and say, well, no, I guess I'm not absolutely sure that gays are born that way. And so... Uh, then I told them about, you know, how it was considered a mental disorder by the uh, APA, which is the American Psychology Association, um, up until 1972 when the gay lobby intimidated them to change it from being a mental disorder. And I go, but see, the thing is, is if you're pushing that it's, an o- it's okay to be gay, which is also anti-the Bible and the church, if you're pushing that it's okay to be gay, then what you're doing is you're actually making a path that leads to destruction, you know, not only uh, spiritually, but also um, AIDS and sexual diseases. You're making a path rosy that can actually hurt people. So you better be really sure about what you're saying. And and their response is more silence? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like they're stunned. You know, because what, what can they say? You know, they have to just consider what I'm saying. Sure. So, I mean, see, I I feel these things, and I have these arguments, and that's why I feel so strongly that I have to get out and and speak and be in the media and stuff and write books to kind of like, you know, say, hey, you know, there's there's a great path here amidst this craziness. I mean, uh, you know, that's going on in our society. There is a great path here, and it's the Bible. And see, one of the things is I said that they did the branding to make their, their positions look good. But they also do branding to make our positions look bad. Huh. And so they, they've created this stigma about the Bible and the Catholic Church and, um, and Christianity and, and Jesus freaks and all that stuff. Uh, those are all their buzzwords. And so we have to show that, no, in fact, goodness and function and beauty are on our side, are on the side of the Bible, on the side of the Church. In case you have just joined us, this is The Extraordinary Catholic. And we are talking with Dennis Marcellino. Who do you speak to? How do people who would like you to speak, I guess, contact you? How do they know about you? Uh, what's the method of you getting your message out? Uh, well, actually, that's a good point. Um, we're really working heavily on marketing right now. And marketing also seems like a bad word to some people. But actually, no. It's, it's the modern-day version of evangelism. And you have to use all of the tools that the world presents right now, and the Internet's one of them. And, of course, you know, mailings and, and phone calls and stuff. Um, but if, they want, if people want to book me for speaking, uh, they can go to catholicproofs.com. Uh, if they want to see, you know, what I'm doing politically, you know, with my new book and everything, which is called The Plague of Liberalism, uh, they can go to biblicalvalues.com.
and that's basically it. Sometimes they'll find me on, but I've been found on the internet. By I mean, I've spoken in Chicago uh, this year for the Knights of Columbus. I've spoken in um, uh, for the Archdiocese of uh, Philadelphia at at some colleges in that area. Uh, I've spoken at parishes in Virginia. You know, all over the the country, they find me somehow, and uh, without me working that hard to get it out. But now we're going to work really hard to get it out. Good. Well, we'll do our best to help. Does, Thank you. Does music play uh, any part uh, in your messaging these days? Yeah. Um, you know, because I was involved with the band, you know, that had to hit the line sleeps tonight because I was a member of that band. Right. You know, people like to hear that song. Whatever's going to open the door. You know, sometimes people will hire me just because uh, they know that that's going to be a draw. But, you know, and I, you know, I have a Christian version of that. And then I, my sax, I have an international best-selling CD as a sax player. And so people like the music, too. So I come and I do, usually do like the, the live season at the beginning, then I tell my testimony, and then I play a sax song at the end. And, you know, just a real uplifting song. What I say is, I say that um, the Bible says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion looking to devour whoever he can. But the Bible also says that we have protection against that, that we, you know, if we resist Satan, he'll flee from us. See, he has no power over us. And so, so I say, so basically, the way the lion sleeps the night started, the original song was, it was a lullaby for kids in Africa in their huts because they didn't have locks on the doors and they knew lions were outside of the huts. They, you know, the, the people were saying, their parents were saying, you know, don't worry, the lion sleeps tonight. Um, and so you can go to sleep. And so what I say is the lion sleeps day and night for us. The lion of Satan sleeps day and night for us as Christians. And so it's kind of like it's a, it's a happy song just for that reason. So then I sing it and uh, with slightly altered lyrics. That's a... That's a, an interesting take. That, that's good that you shared that. Now, one, one thing that was interesting to me, and we, we haven't talked about yet, is how did you get from, you explained how you got from 20 to 21. How did you go from 21 to 22? <laughs> well, basically, um, we were going to that church, the Dr. John MacArthur's church in Southern California, and you know, just learning the Bible and everything. And I was doing my own Bible studies, though. I mean, I, got, I went to Bible college, and I learned how to do, study the Bible really well. And I would always refer to the Bible whenever I had a question about life or a, uh, about how to be or a problem. And some of the studies that I was, I was coming up with conclusions that weren't exactly going along with uh, what I was hearing at the church. And also there was kind of a feeling there like it was kind of like a little bit harsh, a little bit on the harsh side. So uh, my wife started going to Catholic Church, the Catholic Church, and uh, she was also very much into that movie, The Song of Bernadette. And being that I'm into music so much, uh, I would walk through the front room while she was watching the movie, and the music was just beautiful. I mean, the strings and everything. You know, of course, it was from that time to the, the 30s. I think it was made in the 30s or the 40s. Uh, just, it was beautiful. There was like a feeling of beauty, though. And then, you know, I started watching the movie. And then I realized, you know, well, here's Bernadette at the grotto getting comfort from Mary 
in her world, which was a turmoil for her. And I said, well, isn't that what Jesus has been for me? So I softened up to the to the movie and the, the Catholic approach. And then I started going to Catholic Church again and reading the catechism uh, with my wife. And, I, and all, the, all the things that came back uh, from my childhood to me were like, you know, well, this, this is a place of reverence. This is a place of peace. It's a place of beauty. And so that's the way God feels to me, too. He doesn't feel like the harsh yelling from the pulpit type of preachers. He feels that feeling of beauty and peace and love. And so I started reading the catechism, and then lo and behold, all of the conclusions that I've come to in my studies about uh, of the Bible and everything were there in the catechism, where I didn't find them in the Protestant world. And so there it is. I decided to start going back to the Catholic Church. Dan was talking to you and your, about your journey gives me peace and a feeling of beauty and, and love and we thank you for your participating in this and we will pray for your work and look for ways to help you get your message out. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for the work you do and God bless thank you. Thank you. God you bless. too. Take care, Dennis. Bye. Thank you for being with us for today's Extraordinary Catholic. We hope you will find the program inspirational and informative, and truly hope you can join us again. I'm John Delicato.